at American University in Washington. Welcome to the Kojo Nandi Show, connecting your neighborhood with the world. It's Tech Tuesday. Most of us have a routine. We plug in our phone at night to charge and then grab it and go in the morning. Once the phone battery is juiced up, we don't think much about it unless it dies and plunges us into cell phone silence. In recent years, phones themselves have made huge advances, getting thinner, faster, and more powerful. But battery technology hasn't changed much since the invention of the lithium-ion cell in the 1990s. That's still the battery we use in our phones, tablets, and laptops, and it still needs regular recharging and wears out over time. Scientists are searching for the Holy Grail, a new chemistry formula to produce a quantum leap in battery life, but their progress is slow. In the meantime, Tech Tuesday has some tips for how to prolong the life of the batteries you use today, and joining us in studio to help with that is Rob Peguerero, USA Today tech columnist and freelance journalist. Rob, good to see you again. It's good to be back. Joining us from studios at CNET in San Francisco is Ian Schur executive editor of CNET News. Ian, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. You too can join the conversation with your questions. How often do you charge your mobile devices? How does battery life affect the way you use your smartphone or tablet? Give us a call at 800-433-8850. You can send us a tweet at Kojo Show using the hashtag TechTuesday or email to kojo at wamu.org. Ian, you wrote an article for CNET called It's 2014. Why is my battery stuck in the 90s? What's the answer? Why do our digital devices still use essentially the same battery technology we used 20 years ago? It's actually rather fascinating. A lot of what this story is about is about the limits of human engineering. Uh, It's it's amazing if you think about it, though. The watch I have on my wrist, I have a smartwatch. Um, actually has more computing power in it today than the Apollo 11 spacecraft had when it hit the moon. Um, If you think about it, my phone has more computing capability than my laptop did a decade ago, and yet the battery is pretty much the same. And part of the reason for that is that, as you mentioned in the beginning, chemistry is really where a lot of these limitations are. Um, When scientists figured out that lithium-ion batteries and how to make them really the last big discoveries in 1979, they kind of got stuck. And what they've been doing ever since then is trying to make the lithium-ion better. And I actually spoke to the man who helped invent the lithium-ion battery, and his name is John Goodenough. He lives in Texas. And he said that the reality is that just the periodic table is limited. There aren't other elements that they know to work from that are as stable as lithium. And as a result, they're kind of, they don't have a strategy for the next step. And it's very possible that in 250 years, when Captain Kirk is trying to hail the Enterprise, he may have to recharge his communicator first. And that's really fascinating to me. You said his name is John Goodenough? Yes, isn't that? It, I know. Good Lithium enough is rather funny on its own. Yeah. Exactly. I know. <laughs> it's really I, we ironic. That, I that, see those Rob jokes a lot of times during that. editing. <laughs> Rob, even though batteries haven't changed a whole lot, our devices have. How do both hardware and software now enable phones and tablets to use their batteries more efficiently? I feel like we've sort of gotten out of a bit of a trough. If anyone remembers when the first generation of LTE phones came around, I hope no one here bought the HTC Thunderbolt. (laughs) But So you had all these phones that, A, were running software that wasn't really optimized for battery consumption. It was fairly early on in the evolution of Google's Android operating system. And the first generation of LTE phones, they had to have two different chipsets, one for 3G and one for LTE. So you had, you know, twice the battery drain, and you had these things that would run down horrifyingly early. Well, now they were able to put all the radios back into a single chipset. Google and Apple have both been working very hard to make iOS and Android much more aware of what's going on with power consumption, what app is using it, what app doesn't need to be doing anything at the moment and should be just put in a kind of state of suspended animation in the background. 800-433-8850. What are your tricks for prolonging battery life on your phone or tablet? Give us a call. You can also go to our website, kojoshow.org, and ask a question or make a comment there. 
Ian, the more dependent we are on our devices, the more we depend on batteries to keep us connected. How has the mm -hmm. demand for batteries grown in the last couple of decades? Oh, it's fascinating. Um, so I, I found a, a lot of different data. One of the most interesting ones was that in 1990, when the lithium ion was just poising to flood the market, um, because even though they invented it in the 70s, they didn't really get it on the market till the 90s. Um, worldwide demand for batteries was about 200,000 200, megawatts, which if you do all the math, that's about 44 billion Energizer lithium AA batteries. Um, and if you think about that, if you line them up, that would be enough to circle the Earth 57 times. So put 57 batteries in a row and then think about them going on forever and circling the globe. So just two decades later, in 2013, that demand had doubled. And so we're looking at, by 2020... There's going to be demand of about $26.6 billion in battery needs. Part of that is going to be coming from transportation. Part of that is going to be coming from tablets, um, smartphones. And it's just growing and growing. If you think about it, when we look at our cars, yep. you know, a lot of people are trying to push the electric car. We've got Tesla here in California. And them alone, they're trying to build this thing called the Gigafactory, which is uh, going to actually double the number of batteries that we are building in the world literally, when it comes online. And so the needs for battery is only becoming higher and higher. And, again, if you think about it, that, that's what makes this whole stagnant uh, research thing even more of a problem. But when you think about electric cars, we're still at a stage where on a single charge you can't get a car to go more than, what, maybe 500 miles? Uh, you, the best you can hope for right now, I think Tesla's saying there's about 250, but I, I have to double-check that. But what's interesting is that IBM actually, and a lot of the researchers, are actually focused on the car, partially because you can build better batteries and bigger, bigger, bigger batteries for it, right? You don't have to slim them down like you do for the phone. So they have this project they've been working on since 2009 called Battery 500, where they are hoping to build a battery that can last 500 miles, which, uh, to give you perspective, that's enough to go from San Francisco to Los Angeles on a single charge and maybe have a little juice left over to go to the beach, And um, they say they're still pretty far away from it. Uh, they've, they've made a lot of strides. One of the ways that they're doing this is that they're actually trying to change the way a lithium battery works, and they're trying to make it interact with um, air, purified air, instead of carbon, which is what a lot of batteries use today. And they're hoping that by doing that, they can literally have the size of a battery, which means you could either double the amount of battery power or just have a lighter battery. And if they're successful, they might be able to get to 500 miles, okay. which would be a really big thing. It might solve a lot of our things around concerns around range anxiety and stuff like that. But so you'll still you'll need to recharge if you're going further than 500 miles. 500 is still a dream. At what point do you think in time did they hope to be able to do that? Uh, you know, they say that they, they're still a few years away from even getting it out of the labs. And then the next step after that is it has to go to the professional people who actually package these batteries and turn them into things that consumers can use. And that takes years and years and years to make sure that they're safe, to make sure that they can build them in mass quantities, because it's easy almost comparatively to build something once. But when you want to build hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of them, it becomes so much harder because you have to make sure that they have the same quality, that they're the same reliability. And that's what's going to slow down the process the next, uh, once they get out of the labs. In case you're joining us, that's the voice of Ian Schur. He is executive editor of CNET News. Who joined, He joins us from studios from CNET in San Francisco. Joining us in our Washington studios, Rob Pegorero. He is USA Today tech columnist and freelance journalist. We're discussing batteries and taking your calls and questions at 800-433-8850 or email to kojo.wamu.org. Rob, size and weight, key factors in battery design because... We all want phones and tablets that are lighter, thinner, but some phones are getting bigger, and that means the batteries they can hold can be bigger, too. How does that affect the amount of time a phone can run before being recharged? Well, I came here with two devices, because why not, really? Actually, yes. three. I'm forgetting my iPad mini under this pile of paper. One of them is my own phone. The other is the Nexus 6 phone from Google, which oh. is enormous. <laughs> uh, you, you need to have, like giant hands to work this thing properly. See, it's not enormous, but compared to what we've been used to, I guess it's <laughs> enormous. And one nice thing is it does have great battery life. Um, you know, it, it will run a long time. You don't need to charge it every night. If you forget to do it and you wake up, you don't wake up to a phone that's on its last 2% and desperately needs to recharge. Um, the downside is, yes, it's not it's really a, a phone, phone for one-handed use. Yeah, he's got to be a two-handed phone user. 
Um, Ian, how do size and weight considerations lead us to the reality that while the batteries in our devices are rechargeable, they're generally not replaceable? Well, that's, that's a lot of um, actually what design choices that people like Apple have made. Um, it's really interesting. If you go back to 2009, uh, Apple released these new MacBook Pros that were really a moment, I think, in uh, consumer electronics. They said that these MacBook Pros that came out, they had, they had 40% more battery life, which was a crazy number when you thought about it, especially when you consider all that we've been talking to. And part of the way that they got there was that they made it that you could no longer replace the battery. And that meant that they didn't have as many protective shells around the battery, which means that they could put more battery in the computer. And if you actually opened it up, it looked like almost like a puzzle piece. Like the battery was not just one single brick. It actually was designed to fit every single nook and cranny that was left in the laptop after you put all the chips in. So that's how they were able to really increase the battery life. But the trade-off was that I could no longer change the battery easily. And that's what's happened with a lot of our phones as well. The phones that are sealed effectively usually have better battery life because you can just fit more battery in them than the ones that aren't. And it's a struggle that a lot of people um, you know, sit with. I think even if you look at surveys that are done about smartphones today, a lot of people say they would like to be able to change out their battery because like you and me and everyone else, there has been times that we've been at the bar or we've been at work or it's been a long day, or we've been traveling, and our battery dies in the middle of when we just need it. And having an extra battery in my pocket would make life so much easier. But that's the trade-off we're all facing, and a lot of these companies are making the choice for us. They think it's better to be able to say their phone lasts for a full day than to say, well, you know, it'll last for three-quarters of a day, but you can buy a second battery if you need to. Rob, since we can't put in a new battery in the phones that Ian was just describing, is the assumption, therefore, that the device will wear out before the battery does? Yeah, except that's not always the case. We were talking about the MacBook Air. I have a 2012 model, and I've, I've put a lot of miles on this thing, and it doesn't last as long as it used to. And there's really nothing I can do about it. You know, it's I would buy a new one, but it's been almost a year since Apple updated that, so obviously I should hold out a little bit longer. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it would be nice if these non-replaceable battery devices if the service cost to get a new battery popped in were a little cheaper. But instead, it's, yeah, you're, you're paying more than you'd like, more than you used to pay to just get a separate battery to throw into your laptop or your phone. And it's worth noting that the cost of batteries is still very high. Even though we're producing more and more of them all the time, uh, a lot of the cost of a Tesla, for example, is actually just the batteries alone, uh, which is part of our problem. You know, Tesla is hoping that when they build that huge factory, It'll reduce the cost of batteries, but there's no guarantee, uh, which is fascinating part of this whole thing as well. On to the telephones. Here is Paul in Alexandria, Virginia. Paul, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Thanks, Kojo. I think we should move away from um, chemical uh, technologies like batteries and move towards hydrogen fuel cells, something that, that uh, the toxicity of, of many of these metals is pretty high, but with, with hydrogen fuel cell, the, the fuel is replaceable. And we don't have to. We don't have to keep getting stuck with these limited technology. We got hysteresis. We got all sorts of other things that are happening with with um, the kind of batteries that we're talking about, chemical batteries. But if we have a hydrogen fuel cell, it's replaceable, it, I and mean, we're not so dependent. I mean, I love my iPhone, but it's just it sucks the uh, uh, energy right out very quickly. And Lilliputian Systems, I think it is in Massachusetts, has has a iPhone. Has, not iPhone. Excuse me. Has a um, a fuel cell uh, battery for for um, uh, mobile phones. I know DARPA's got some small fuel cells, and uh, Max Planck Institute in, in uh, Germany is also working for on, on small fuel cells. What's the so problem, Ian, sure, with mass production of fuel cells and whites, more widespread usage of hydrogen fuel cells? Well, part of it has been the technology just hasn't gotten safe enough yet. Um, there are people trying to do it, like Toyota, for example, has uh, announced, I think, six months ago, a $70,000 car that they're going to build that's hydrogen fuel cell. And a lot of companies, car companies especially, are looking toward this because you don't need to shrink the battery as much, right, as we've been mentioning, or rather the fuel cell as much. As we've been mentioning before, size is a big problem here. And um, so a lot of the fuel cells are looking at cars. There are a number of companies that are looking in that direction. Uh, but part of it will be, can we shrink it down enough for a phone and then have it be stable enough? I, I think it's worth noting 
that the lithium-ion battery, especially 10 years ago, there were all these explosions that were going on that were really scary. I mean, we had we had so many laptop batteries that were being recalled, if you remember. They were huge. And part of the problem is that even though, and this was, I mean, back by that point, the lithium-ion had been out for 10 years. And part of the problem is that it's very hard to put a lot of this energy together and then store it and safely do that. And it's a really scary thing when you think about it. That's why, for example, if you have a bad charger, if you buy a cheap charger, like off the, you know, off the, off a street vendor, it's probably at one point going to cause your phone to possibly explode because these things are incredibly complex, even though it's all chemistry, it's still very dangerous. And we have to be very careful about this stuff. So that's why shrinking down a, a fuel cell has been hard and why it's been slow. Also, the car companies, as, as we all know, have been kind of slow to uptake on all these new technologies anyway, uh, although Tesla and other companies have tried to have been kind of successful pushing them. But it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. A lot of the battery experts out there, and I'll admit most of them are, are chemistry battery experts, so the people who are working on lithium-ion, are somewhat dismissive of where fuel cells will go when it comes to mobile devices. Um, and, uh, you know, they don't, they're not entirely sure that's ever going to be able to work for our phones. But you never know. And if that's the case, that might be the, the huge breakthrough we're looking for. But when it comes to the chemistry-type batteries that we're all looking at today, the ones that we use today, there isn't really much on the horizon, unfortunately. Paul, thank you very much for your call. Rob, in your line of work as a tech reporter, your motto is always be charging. Where ABC. And, where and how often do you charge your device <laughs> when you're on the road? So, yeah, if I'm going to, say, the Consumer Electronics Show, I trust Dean will be there as well. You go to CES, you, you're walking around all day long, taking notes in your phone, taking pictures with it, tweeting, emailing, and, and that kind of environment just kills phones. So basically, if you're sitting down, you should, even before you sit down, sort of case the joint, look around, where's the nearest <laughs> outlet? If you can't do that, you should carry around an external phone charger. And, and I will note, uh, WAMU just gave me a very lovely WAMU logoed external phone charger. Uh, Ian, you should be here. They, you would have one, too. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you want to have some kind of backup because you, you can't count on, you know, you'll have some time to go back to your hotel and refresh and recharge everything. So you sit down for lunch plug in your phone, and then you can recharge yourself as well. Does that mean that if you go to lunch and you're sitting in a restaurant or cafe and there's no electrical outlet nearby... You may need to go somewhere else. <laughs> you, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation on our mobile devices and how to boost battery life. If you've called, stay on the line. If you'd like to call, the number is 800-433-8850. How long do you think a smartphone battery should last before it needs to be recharged? 800-433-8850. Or you can send email to kojo at wamu.com. Org. It's Tech Tuesday. I'm Kojo Nandi.
It's a Tech Tuesday conversation on how to boost battery life with Rob Pegarero. He's a USA Today tech columnist and a freelance journalist and Ian Schur, executive editor of CNET News. And you, if you call 800-433-8850 or send email to kojawamu.org. When we took that break, Rob Pegarero was talking about the fact that he charges whenever he sits down. We only got to restaurants, and you mentioned briefly Amtrak. Now, where else do you find or not find the outlet? that you need. Airlines, for instance. Exactly. Airplanes. <laughs> I, I'm a real fan of having an outlet below me because, look, you're sitting someplace for two or three or four hours, hopefully not much longer than that. You might as well charge your devices. And when that isn't around, it's really upsetting. Uh, if anyone at United Airlines is listening, put in-seat power in your Airbuses already, <laughs> please. <laughs> Talk about the charges we use to get our batteries up to full strength. Will we see a universal charger anytime soon that fits all devices so that we don't have to carry around a bunch of different ones? No. <laughs> we won't. <laughs> Talk to Apple. Well, it's, it's, worth noting, it, it's worth noting that the European Union actually has a law requiring a, requiring a universal charger. They're all using... Uh, I think it's called micro USB, which yep. you have to keep track of. There are three different types of USB. There's a four one, fourth one coming out soon. So um, that's going to be a that's that's what happens in the European Union. And Apple actually has different plugs that they offer when you go to the European Union to make it all work. But um, here in the U.S., you are stuck with a couple of different types of chargers. Part of the reason Apple does it, of course, is that they like to be special. A, of course, but B, um, the charger they have, they they argue is better because it's. Uh, waterproof, the charger, not the phone, and um, also that you can you can switch it around. I don't think you should put a so charger underwater in the first place. You should not, <laughs> like, but, it's, but it's at least you know positive thing, right? I mean, baby steps. <laughs> and then the other thing is that the um, is that the uh, you can you can plug it in either way, right? You don't have to fish for did I plug it in the right way? Did I plug it in the wrong way? You can turn plug it in, turn it around, plug it in again, and so that's part of why they argue that their stuff is better. Um, but it's worth noting, Apple has because of how long they've been in the computer industry, they've they have a long history of coming out with their own types of plugs and whatnot, partially to try and lock you in, of course, but partially because they actually argue they have better stuff. Um, if you think back to 10 years ago, they had a thing called Firewire, which was much faster than USB and was a pretty much the industry standard for video makers. Um, now we've all pretty much switched over to USB. But th that's kind of part of what their history is, is that they try to come up with specialized stuff that fits their needs more than a generic thing that fits everyone's needs. On to the phones again. Benjamin in Potomac, Maryland. Benjamin, your turn. Yes, hi. Good morning. Good afternoon, um, Benjamin. Good afternoon. Actually, good afternoon. <laughs> hi, how are you? We're doing well. Um, um, so I, I do all those different things that you guys are talking about. I carry an extra charger with me, an extra battery with me. I turn off the Bluetooth. I try and turn off, you know, a lot of the apps. But, you know, every so often the phone is, just dies. And then you find a place to charge it in, to, you know, to plug the, the phone into to charge it. And, of course, the, with the iPhone, it takes about five minutes until the phone comes back on again. Um, I've heard recently that uh, the Israelis are working on technology that uh, charges the phone much quicker, that you could charge these lithium batteries within 30 seconds instead of having yeah. to, you know, charge it and take, taking five or 10 or 15, whatever, 20 minutes to, charge, to get a full charge. Have you heard that that's true, and, and what, what's the story behind that technology? Yeah, There's a lot of that technology out there, actually. Um, so there are a number of companies, if you do a search just quickly for quick charging on Google, you're going to get a ton of information. Uh, I ran across a ton of it when I was writing this story. So one of the things about quick charging is that, again, remember that chemistry is something that's different from computer chips. You can't manipulate it as easily, right? Computer chips you can make smaller. They're more efficient by nature. Uh, with chemistry, what you're doing is when you're, when you're quick charging, you're actually forcing more energy into the battery quicker. And what that means is that the battery can become unstable. And a lot of the quick chargers out there, the real quick chargers, like the guys who say you can do it in 30 seconds, have not hit the market because in the end, they're not able to create something that they, can't, that they can guarantee won't explode in your pocket. And between you and me, I'd rather wait 30 minutes than have an exploding pocket. <laughs> and so what they're doing instead is that some companies like the Droid, uh, I think it was the Droid Turbo, uh, you'd have to check me on this, has a quicker charger. So I think it goes, it's able to charge like 10% faster, which is a big deal. I mean, for some people, that makes a lot of difference. Um, but in the end of the day, but that's part of why we haven't seen like a 30-second charge and also why we may not for a very long time. The people who are doing that effectively are actually building systems that are trying to monitor the battery as much as possible. 
And if anything starts to seem unstable, it stops charging. So there's a lot of protective things that need to be built to ensure that it's not going to be dangerous. But that's the bottom line of all of this. A quicker charge is inherently dangerous. And they have to be very careful about the way they do it. Rob, with quick charging? I was going to say the Nexus 6 has a, I think they call it a turbocharge option, where you plug it into the charger that comes in the box, not any old one. And I clocked it, and I think it was maybe 30% 30 faster. There you go. The charger itself was also like 40% faster. It's about the size of an iPad charger instead of a a regular phone charger. Because it's actually forcing more energy through the cord. That's why. Yeah. We yeah. got an email from Rene who says, please tell me the best way to charge my cell phone or computer to make the battery last as long as possible. Should I put it on the charger every night on, or wait until it drains down to 20%? Ian, when I unplug my phone from the charger in the morning, the little icon mm-hmm. in the corner says the battery is charged 100%. But you've said that's a white lie. Why don't it batteries is a lie. ever it's charge or <laughs> discharge all the way? Yes, because it's actually unsafe. Um, so the battery industry has lied to you the entire time you've been using them. I hate to break it to you. They only use about the, the middle 80% of a battery. The bottom and top 20% are not really ever touched, partially because the batteries become less stable when you use that, when you get pop it off too much or you drain it down too far. So what we have instead is that we're working within that about 80% range. And so the best ways to do this, there's a lot of old kind of uh, old wives' tales around batteries because older technologies like the nickel metal hydride that we used to use before um, in the early, early 90s required you to to, to drain your battery entirely and then charge it all the way up before you used it. And if you interrupted that process, you could screw up the battery. Good news is that the lithium-ion, part of why it's caught on so much is that it doesn't have those rules. In fact, you can pretty much unplug, plug in however much you want all the time, and it's not going to affect the battery life. What you want to do, and Apple recommends this and a lot of other people do too, is that you exercise your battery, which means that you, you let it charge all the way down at least once a month. Right? You don't have to do it a lot. You just do it about once a month. You let it drain all the way to quote-unquote zero, which we know is a lie. And then you charge it all the way back up, and you're good. But there isn't much else you can do, unfortunately. You can leave a, a phone on the charger or your computer on the charger Again, for a very long time, just make sure you uncharge, you know, you decharge it or you run it down once a month, and it'll be good. And the reason you want to do this is that there's a thing called a dendrite, these, these kind of, if you want to think about it, corrosive material pretty much, that forms on a battery over time, and all batteries have this problem. And so by, by, by making it exercise, you'll basically be protecting a little bit from that. But all batteries can take about 300 to 1,000, depending on the type of battery it is, um, charge and discharges in its lifetime. And over that time, it starts to lose a lot of it, some of its power. So, um, you know, as was mentioned earlier, you know, a, a two-year-old computer is not going to have as much of a battery life at the top when you've charged it all the way up as it was brand new because the chemistry has been used and the battery is kind of, it's, it's, it's starting to form little things on it inside that you don't see. And that's what affects the battery life over time. So the bottom line is you can do whatever you want to the battery. Just, you know, charge it all the way down at least once a month, and you'll be golden. Okay, on to the ways in which we can make our batteries last longer. I'll start with Jane in Washington, D.C. Jane, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, Kojo. Hi, Jane. Um, Just let me take a moment and say I'm right in your neighborhood, and we are so happy to have WAMU in our neighborhood. We're happy to be here. Good. And I, full confession here, I'm talking to you from my flip phone. Whoa. Um, <laughs> retro. <laughs> Very retro. There's a little secret society of, a, of us that <laughs> wink at each other as we walk down the street. Um, but I love listening to Tech Tuesday. And what occurs to me is that given sort of the, the chemical limitations of extending battery life, um, and as smartphones and other devices just do more and more things, is one of the possible solutions that the industries are looking at is simply spreading the most common utilities across devices. I mean, one of your guests said he came in with three devices. You know, you've got a smartphone, you've got a smartwatch. Um, you know, and I would imagine that Apple and other companies would be only too happy to sell us more and more little mobile devices so that you're not running down each one, but you're, you know, you're using them for different things. And it's an interesting idea. Okay. The, you know, it, it can somewhat, you know, it, a lot of the companies have pretty much been going in the opposite direction of what you described. They're trying to make them do everything. 
Um, and so part of the reason that they're doing that is that the chips that we're all using are getting more powerful but also smaller, so they're more efficient. So you can pretty much do more stuff with the same battery life that you had before, and you're not affected too much. Um, you know, a lot of – if you look at what Apple's doing, and not to be an advertisement for Apple, they have a thing called um, co uh, coherence, I think it is, or, continuity. or continuity. That's what it's called, right? Where what you can do is that if you're in the middle of writing an email on your phone, your computer actually tells you, hey, I see that you're writing an email on your phone. Do you want to finish it on your computer? And those are some of the ways that they're trying to – solve that problem as you'll describe but it's a very hard one to solve because we now expect so much from our phones to do and we expect them to guide us to the restaurant they we expect them to help us order our food we have the, we expect them to do so much that's going to be very hard to take that back and say no you can't do that jane thank you very much for your call rob two other examples along those lines when i said i showed up with two devices i wasn't totally sure i forgot i'm wearing this moto 360 that, yes. smart watch which is basically an <laughs> external display for my phone and that does help a little bit. It means I'm not picking up the phone to see, like, what time it is <laughs> or, you know, what's this new email, what new, uh, you know, tweet I just got mentioning me. So that sort of helps a lot. Uh, and the other, I'm just going to show this because it's kind of amusing and also sad. Uh, Lenovo makes this Android phone that has a battery that you can use to charge another phone. Okay. It's like in-flight refueling for your phone. <laughs> not available in the U.S. market, sadly enough, but maybe someday. We got an email from Mike in Baltimore who says, if only it was easier to understand what all the apps on our phones or tablets are doing in the background, maybe I could turn 95% of them off for 100% of the day. This alone would make batteries last longer. User experience and interface design can save energy if only the tech industry understood that. Rob, you recommend checking the apps you use on your phone to see which ones are the biggest power guzzlers. How do we do that on both Android and Apple phones? And this is why I bought an iPad as well as an Android phone. So in Android, what you want to do is go into the Settings app and bring up the battery gauge, mm -hmm. and it will tell you. There we go. So on my own phone, it says right now, the, well, okay, this is not super helpful. The biggest drain of battery has been Google services, which means some other app is asking Google to do a task for it. Then it's the screen. But the good news is there's no, if you see one app at the top of the list that you haven't used in a while, then that one has sort of run amok, and that's a problem. And hopefully they'll fix it with the bug report. That's been in Android for a while. In iOS, this was added in iOS 8, and it's a great feature. It's my favorite feature in iOS 8 because it helps answer the question I could never answer otherwise from readers. Is. Why is my iPhone dying so quickly? Yes. So bring up the settings app, select general uh, usage. This may be a little different on the iPhone. I'm not sure. Battery usage, and it says on my iPad. Let's see, what are the, the big offenders here? For me, it's mail. <laughs> yeah, the last time I checked, it was it was YouTube for some reason. It was doing something in the background, and it was really, yeah. So over the last seven days, Safari has been the main offender, 40% of the battery drain. 26% has been YouTube, and it's specified as background activity. How can there be background activity? The, this app is only any good when I'm actually watching it. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to watch YouTube in the background. So that's a mystery to me. Uh, then, yeah, home and lock screen, mail, Twitter, Facebook, App Store, calendar and so on i should i should note yahoo weather shows up on the list as one percent i write for yahoo tech but i don't write the yahoo weather app so you can't blame one percent only <laughs> here's very efficient really here's katrina in fairfax virginia katrina you're on the air go ahead please hello um i have an android that is progressively getting worse on its battery life and now it is just shutting off at no apparent reason not necessarily when the battery life is low it just shuts off is it just a bad battery and I should go back to the provider? Or? <laughs> what phone is it? What it's model? an Android Galaxy, and I'm not sure what version. I can't remember. Okay. Yeah, what can happen, I mean, phones just kind of go bad. My, my last Android phone went very, very bad. This one, this Nexus 4 I've had has been great. Um, one thing with Android is at a certain point, either the company that made the phone or your wireless carrier will just stop pushing out updates to it. And in some cases, the phone is too old to run the, the newest version. Uh, version 5.0 of Android Lollipop is supposed to do great things for battery life. I, I have it waiting on my Nexus 4, and I decided I don't want to install it just yet. don't want to push my luck. But apparently, that's going to make a real difference. But if your phone is too old to run it, then you're sort of out of luck. And okay. if, if you have like a Galaxy S or Galaxy S2, that's a phone that's been around a while, and you might just want to look at seeing what your carrier has 
to replace it since you're eligible for the upgrade pricing at this point. Okay, I appreciate it. Thank you. Katrina, thank you very much for your call. We've got to take a short break, but you can still call us at 800-433-8850 if you have questions about how to maximize battery life in your tech devices, 800-433-8850, or send email to kojo at wamu.org. What are your tricks for prolonging battery life on your phone or tablet? You can also go to our website, kojoshow.org, and join the conversation there. I'm Kojo Namdi. One, a controversial report on CIA tactics triggers debate and possible retaliation against U.S. interests abroad. Plus, almost gone. People who've had near-death experiences say they've seen what lies beyond. Now science is weighing in. Today at 1 on the Kojo Nandi Show on WAMU, 88.5 and streaming at kojoshow.org. It's Text Tuesday. We're discussing how to boost your battery life with Rob Pigarero. He's a USA Today tech columnist and a freelance journalist. And Ian Schur is executive editor of CNET News. We didn't talk about laptop batteries, Rob. So here, I'll, one point that doesn't made often enough, temperature. Uh, I think Ian can back me up on this or correct me. Below 50 degrees, above 95 degrees, I'm sort of cribbing from... Uh, a column one of my Yahoo Tech colleagues wrote not long ago about how to prolong your MacBook's battery life. Uh, outside of that range is not so great for a lithium-ion battery. I know at one point I was using my phone with some cheap charger <laughs> in my car, and it just rebooted because I guess it got too hot for the battery overall. Over 95 Absolutely. degrees? Yeah, and it was uh, yeah, in, so in August in the summer. Yeah, it's very dangerous, actually, to go above or below a certain temperature. And basically, I've had that same thing happen. I've been driving along, and I was using my phone as a GPS, and, you know, it was it was the middle of the summer. And even in California, uh, we have temperate climate, but it gets hot sometimes. And I'll tell you that when, when my phone shut down and said, oh, my gosh, I'm way too hot, I felt the back of the phone, and it, I, I could probably fry an egg on it. And so definitely you want to keep your phone out of extreme temperatures. It's really bad for batteries. It makes them very unstable. And what the computer companies have done, of course, is that they want to protect us, right? The last thing they want is anything to explode while you're using it. It's so bad what they've for done business. is they've created – it's very bad for business. So they've created these systems that actually monitor the batteries all the time. And whenever anything gets wrong, they shut the thing down. They are worried. And they make sure that it is – the last thing that's going to happen is as much power as they can, they're going to avoid ever making this thing dangerous for you. So your phone will automatically shut down if it gets too hot. It'll warn you and it'll complain if it's too cold. But also when you're, when you're you know, th it does allow for a certain amount. So you could be in 100-degree weather and your phone will still work, but it's a really bad idea. Um, and the same thing, if you're shoveling snow, keep that phone in your pocket because it's, it's just bad yes. for it to be in extreme weather. I've definitely seen, like, cameras get worse battery life when you take them skiing and then the battery just run down, runs down that much quicker. Absolutely, all the time. More specific things now, Ian. The screen itself on a smartphone can be a big power drain. What's the best way to prevent that? 
Well, it's actually the biggest power drain in many devices. The only way you can prevent that is to lower the screen brightness. Um, on, on the phones, they, every one of them now has a setting where you can control the screen brightness. Just lower it as much as you're willing to. Same thing with your laptop. I run my laptop at a very low screen brightness, partially because I don't want to see my competitors see what I'm writing. But on top of that, it also helps to really keep the battery running long. I, I get still pretty consistently about 12 hours out of my laptop, which is fantastic. And so you just want to make sure you're lowering the brightness. The other thing on laptops, make sure that you're careful about how many apps are running. Because with laptops, they don't have the technology that the smartphones have. So almost every smartphone made today is smart enough to know that you have limited battery life. And so they actually, if you move on to another task away from an app, almost all the apps automatically shut down within a couple minutes. So, for example, that recently used list when you double-click the home button on the iPhone, Mm -hmm. almost none of those apps are actually running. They're just a list of what you were using before. Most of them are suspended animation. They're not affecting your battery life at all. It's a big mis- you know, misconception that all those apps you see are running. Almost none of them are. Your mail program still is all the time because it, Apple wants you to be able to get your email. But otherwise, most of them aren't. Uh, but with a laptop, almost all the programs are running whenever you're, you know, if, the, if they're still running. Like, you have to manually shut them down, partially because the computer companies don't want to be um, overly paternalistic with computer users. The other thing also, they have tried to do a couple of things. For example, Apple has a really interesting technology where if you aren't, if the thing, screen isn't front and center, so let's say I'm, I'm listening to the latest uh, Taylor Swift song on, on YouTube, and I overlay that with my work because I don't want my boss to see what I'm writing uh, or what I'm listening to. It actually isn't making the video update on the, in the background. And so the computer is actually doing less work. It's just moving the sound through my speakers. It's not showing the video and then overlaying my document on top of it. So they've done stuff like that to try and increase battery life. Microsoft is doing very similar things with Windows as well. And over time, things are getting better. Um, but that's about all that can be done for battery life. Otherwise, you'd shut down the Bluetooth, not use Wi-Fi, stuff like that. Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, GPS. Uh, right. So the thing with Wi-Fi is it's actually more efficient than your than your radios for your cellular connection. So Absolutely. You're, you're kind of, you know, you're giving, you're actually hurting yourself if you can use Wi-Fi and you're not using it. You're actually going to get worse battery life than if Wi-Fi is around, which is why Apple actually has designed it so that when you're in an AT&T store or when you're in a Starbucks, you automatically connect to the Wi-Fi. They actually have it set so that you're avoiding those types of problems. But generally speaking, you want to be on Wi-Fi when you can. And you can shut off the Bluetooth. A lot of people don't need Bluetooth. But those are about it. I mean, there isn't much you can do because a lot of the stuff has become automated because most people don't want to have to think about this. Most people don't want to have to work on making sure that they're, you know, constantly checking their phone. Oh, is this running? Is this not? Why spend the time? We have other things to do. So the computer companies are trying to make it better. And slowly they are. Slowly they're, they're building these systems that automatically take care of it for you. And there's actually some patents that have, been, that have been put out there by the computer companies to actually create automated systems that can tell, oh, you're at home, well, then you want your Wi-Fi on and stuff like that. And so that's really cool. It's still in the future. But what you can definitely guarantee, batteries may not be advancing very much over time, but the, but the computer systems, the software that manages them is getting much better all the time. And that's where a lot of our, our, our advancements are going to come from. Here's Ken in Alexandria, Virginia. Ken, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Oh, hi. hi can Ken. you hear me? Yes, we can. Yep. Oh, I'll be done. Um, <laughs> discussing battery life, I, I just thought I would call, and I've intended to do it a, a couple of times. I, about two years ago, found something that suited my needs perfectly. It's uh, a Republic Wireless. Uh, they've been out for a while, I think two and a half years, actually. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they were, they were the ones that started with the innovation of Wi-Fi first. It's an MVNO with uh, Sprint, uh, so Sprint's the cell carrier, if you happen to need a cell carrier. But it works uh, on Wi-Fi if you are at, near, or on Wi-Fi. And when I first got it, um, I noticed that on Wi-Fi, a battery on the uh, original phone would last for two days. It's a smartphone. It's one of the older model smartphones, but it would last for two days. And they came up with an app that uh, if there is a viable, useful Wi-Fi connection available, it will revert to that. And the latest models out uh, transfer the call to cell if you happen to walk out of Wi-Fi range. So that Republic, um, it's been pretty remarkable primarily by uh, emphasizing and employing Wi-Fi first and actually turning off the cell radio. And you feel that uh, that helps to prolong the life of your battery? 
Well, it, it ran my, my smartphone. It would last for two days without a charge. Of course, That's... I don't use it tremendously. I don't use it a lot. But, uh, <laughs> you haven't been yeah, playing uh, a lot of YouTube uh, videos, have you? <laughs> <laughs> or playing Candy Crush. Yes. yes. Right. Well, you know, the T-Mobile the, the and Sprint have been doing this, too. Um, you know, they, it, it's interesting, actually. One of my colleagues um, was, we were remodeling our New York offices, and so he was working from home for a couple of weeks, and he was using, I think it was T-Mobile's Wi-Fi thing, and, oh, my gosh, the connection was bad. I mean, he would sometimes have to call me back. Um, you know, his voice would drop. So the technology is there. It's getting better over time. I don't know if you've had the same experiences. I'm sure a lot of it has to do with how good your Wi-Fi connection is. But it's worth noting that, you know, uh, there are a lot of these technologies coming out. Again, as, as you can see this theme for the last hour has been all the ways to avoid the battery problem yes. and fix it some other way, <laughs> right? And so, yes, Wi-Fi calling is another answer that a lot of companies are looking into. It's very cool. It's still kind of cutting edge. Um, you know, one of the things I have actually done, my in-laws uh, who live in, uh, in, in, you know, above Baltimore and Maryland, they actually have, um, I bought them a, a cellular hotspot. So that what will happen is that they, they don't have very good cellular connections in their home. So what it does is it actually plugs into their, into their Internet, and it creates a cellular network right there. It's like a little mini cell tower. And so all of the calls go through the Internet and then connect to AT&T. And it works pretty well. Um, the connection is almost always consistent, um, and it's been pretty, pretty, pretty good for them over the last couple of years. So there is a lot of stuff out there, but most people don't want to deal with that. Um, you know, there are a lot of Wi-Fi people out there who are making Wi-Fi chips who say that the future of really battery life and, frankly, connections in general will be to blanket the world with Wi-Fi. And maybe that's the case, but, um, you know, it's been a long time. It took a very long time for our cellular connections to get reliable. I don't know if you remember when the iPhone first came out and when all these uh -huh. smartphones started right. going crazy. But, I mean, I, I, I was I, living in D.C. at the time. Oh, my gosh, I could barely get a connection that worked right, almost all calls. the time. I still drop uh, calls oh when gosh. I'm in Rock Creek Park. Right. Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I'd be, I'd be walking around. I'd be looking at my bars. Okay, I'm walking over here. Here's more bars. Walk over here. There's less. Yes. And it was really frustrating. And it's gotten better. I don't know what it's like over there now, but in San Francisco, it's pretty consistent. Right. And that's pretty good. Speaking about, you know, we've got hills here, and it's still working. But yeah, it's, it, the thing is that it's going to take a while before the stuff gets truly the level that, you know, your grandma is going to use it and not think about it, which is really where it has to get before everyone else is going to jump on board. I mean, it's great that some companies are able to get the early adopters to do, like, Wi-Fi calling and whatnot, but it is not a mainstream product yet. It's going to take a while before it's so consistent that I'm willing to do it all the time. Rob, if I'm in an area with weak signal strength and my phone is constantly searching for a cellular connection, that's probably draining my battery, too. What should I do about that? Yes, exactly. I, I, this was made very apparent to me uh, a couple of times I was in the mall. It was rather... Rather credit, Obama's first inauguration, I think we all remember that, mm -hmm. just killed everyone's phones outright. The uh, rally to restore sanity destroyed my phone's battery life pretty quickly as well because it's lighting up the radio all the time. And in that case, you're, you're better off just going to airplane mode, and, airplane mode and then, you know, check every hour or so for to see if a new text message trickles in. Um, and that's one case. About Wi-Fi calling, it is getting better. Republic Wireless have tried their service a couple of times. And you don't have to think about it. And the, the, the handoff is automatic. T-Mobile is working on that. There's a whole standard called Wi-Fi Passpoint that's supposed to automate this whole process so you don't even know that you've gone from the cellular signal to Wi-Fi. A uh, couple of other tips that come to mind earlier. Uh, in in macOS 10, the, the current version and the, the version before that will actually tell you which apps are killing your battery. It'll say so underneath the battery gauge. Apps using yep. significant battery life. And the activity monitored app will also gauge that stuff. Uh, and another neat trick, if your smartphone or tablet has what's called an OLED or an AMOLED screen, it's, it's short for organic light-emitting diode, those use less battery life if you have a lot of dark areas on the screen. So your background picture should not be um, this beautiful shot of a snowy mountain. Make it the shot of, like, the night sky, mm. and that'll lower your battery life. And you can see this in action, the battery conservation modes in Android Lollipop, or, and definitely in the, the current Samsung Galaxy phones, uh, to prolong the battery life, they'll switch it to black and white display, black background, white text, so there's as few, you know, bright colored pixels on the screen as possible. On to Matt in Annapolis, Maryland. Matt, your turn. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. 
<clears throat> I'm uh, I'm a heavy iOS power user. I game on it. I work on it. I Bluetooth keyboard on my uh, 6 Plus now. And one of the things I've noticed is a number of battery apps that live in the App Store, uh, particularly ones that talk about claiming to uh, clean up memory or swap space or something like that and make your phone faster and save battery life. Is, is this just a gimmick, or is, is it actually doing Bro. something under the covers? Uh, it seems like a gimmick to me because the way Apple locks down iOS – I don't think third-party developers can actually get at those parts of the system. I'm sort of surprised Absolutely. to, to see those things in the store <laughs> at all. And yeah. even in Android, year two or three years ago, an Android product manager said, look, battery manager apps, you don't need them. You know, if you, if you have an app that's running away with the battery, the problem is not that you're not running a, some power conservation. The problem is that this app is buggy and needs to be fixed. Just get rid of it and use some other app for the same purpose. All right, running out of time very quickly, but enough time to get George in Lewis, Delaware's question on the air. George, make it quick, please. Okay. Uh, there's some interesting uh, movements in technology. I'll cite Casio Watch and Sony Watches in making solar-powered watches. I realize that uh, cell phones and uh, tablets require a lot more power than that, but uh, certainly in the area of recharging, uh, more could be done with things like a, a case for your laptop where you have a solar cell on the outside. Um, I don't see uh, this coming along, but uh, it's uh, intriguing. Since We're a lot almost of out of time out. coming along, Rob. Do you have any idea? Yeah, I've definitely seen a lot of solar power chargers. The thing is, you're probably not going to have a laptop with solar cells in the lid because that's a lot of somewhat fragile surface there. So you need to have that stuff protected. But sure, have a charger you could use to... You can buy these things now. There's a lot of them. I saw a fuel cell charger a little while back at CES. So it's out there. But realistically, most of the time, your easiest option is going to be carry in your bag, carry a USB charger, cables for all your stuff, your set. Rob Pegorero, he's a USA Today tech columnist and freelance journalist. Rob, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Ian Scherer is executive editor of CNET News. Ian, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening. I'm Kojo Nandi. Coming up tomorrow on the Kojo Nandi Show, Pledging Allegiance, Why Complicated Tax and Residency Rules Are Causing More Americans to Trade U.S. Citizenship for a Foreign Passport. Then at 1, the Everyday Gourmet, New York Times columnist Mark Bittman explains why cooking well and cooking fast aren't mutually exclusive. The Kojo Nandi Show, noon till 2 tomorrow on WAMU 88.5 and streaming at kojoshow.org. WAMU 88.5 is your listener-supported NPR news station in the greater Washington, D.C. region. You can support the Kojo Namdi Show and all the regional coverage you value by becoming a member today. Click the Donate button at WAMU.org and thanks.